0: about to read the scripture. There will be three scripture readings today. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 19 verses 3 through 6. Moses went up to the mountain of God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself." Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdoms of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. Now hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 19, verses 17 through 22. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up to the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently, and the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain, then the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and he went up. The Lord directed Moses, Go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord. Otherwise, otherwise many of them will die. Even the priests who come near the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out in anger against them. Now, hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 20, verse 18 through 21. All of the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the ram's horn, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid for God has come to test you so you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: You're I'm glad I didn't make her read like all the chapter 19 and 20. You're welcome, you're welcome. All right. So I'm excited to, to be with you all today to talk about God's Word. You know, one of the, the verses that I think about a lot, it's like one of my favorite verses, is in Acts chapter 20 when Paul is uh, giving this final address before uh, these pastors in, in Ephesus. And he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not shrink to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So there are things... And the scriptures, depending on where you're at, that sound really happy. There's things in the scripture that don't sound so happy. Nevertheless, we have to declare the whole council, okay? So, have you ever been through something significant and then thought, now what? You're like, what do I do now? Do I, okay, cool, thank you. That's my corner right there. <laughs> they relate to me, anyway. Uh, so, what I want you to think about is, is, is the position of the Israelites at this time. They had just been saved through this miraculous deliverance from Egypt. You know, they, they went through the, the, the Red Sea with the walls on either side, and, and God takes them out. And it, this is like the, the first address that God gives them after they are saved. So, in other words, it's like we are saved. Now what? Now what? What does God say to the people that he redeemed? And what does God have to say to us? We are his redeemed people. And in this text, he reminds them and us of who he is and why he saved them. He reminds them of who he is and why he saved them. Let's ask the Lord for help. Lord, I love your word. Help us to love and value and treasure your word because it tells us the truth about who you are. Would you send the Holy Spirit that we would have open ears? Would you send the Holy Spirit that we would have hearts that are willing to honor and obey you? I ask all that in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the first thing Moses does is he tells them uh, why—excuse me, the first thing God does through Moses is he tells them why he saves them. If you look at chapter 19, verse 3, it says, Moses went up to the mountain, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will listen carefully to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. These are the words that you will say to Israelites. So again, the context is they just got delivered, this miraculous deliverance. He brings them, and he's like, all right, let me tell you this, this, why I delivered you. Let me give you some, some, some rules of conduct. In other words, you can think, think about this as the founding address of the nation of Israel. They just got saved, and now their king stands before them and says, I'm going to make you a nation, and this is what you need to know. And what I love about this text is it says, it says that God saves us from our enemies so that we can be with him. A lot of times when you can hear gospel presentations, it can sound something like this. Uh, you were really bad, and God didn't like you, but Jesus is like, ah, I got you. And you know, Jesus like, I guess I feel bad for him. And God's like, I can stand you. Not. That, that, that is not what's going on. God saves us so that we can be near him. When the Israelites were oppressed, God came in power to save them. And when we were trapped by sin, Satan, and the fear of death, God came to deliver us. Jesus echoes this this reasoning for salvation in John 17, 24. He's praying. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Listen, this, this purpose under, it underscores his reasoning and his affection and his love. The reality is this. You can do stuff for folks, so they will leave you alone, right? You know, somebody's just asking you for something. You're like, just go on somewhere, man. You know, if, if your kid's asking you for snacks, you're like, just take the crackers. Go sit down. Somebody nodded their head. Anyway, so, so you, you can do stuff for that reason, but God, God's works of salvation are to be near his people. He also reminds them in this text that that because they have been redeemed, they belong to him. The same is true, true of us. We've been redeemed by the power of God and the blood of Christ Jesus. The reality is you don't spend resources on something you don't want, right? If you don't want it, you don't spend your resources. But it, Peter says in 1 Peter, for you know that you were redeemed not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The fact that, that, that he has all, spilt his blood for you is, is this, this, this example of how much he wants you to be near him. In other translations, it says that, that God's people are his prized possession. That he's so glad to have you near him. So he says, Hey, I, I saved you so that you can be close to me. I saved you because I love you and I prize you. And then he says, we are supposed to be witnesses to this world for him. If you look at look at verse um, at verse six, it says, You will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. This idea is—I actually I had a conversation just this morning I'm talking about uh, this idea of, of priesthood. When you think about a priest, you think about an in- intermediator, someone who goes to God on your behalf, who prays for you to God on your behalf. And, and what God is saying is not just one class of people, but all of my people are to be those who would be intermediaries, praying on behalf of others and representing God's Word to those around them. Not only would they be representatives, but they would be a holy nation. That their actions would reflect the holy nature of God. This gives meaning to your everyday actions. If you have been saved by God, you have been saved to display his good and righteous character. There's this this part of of Exodus where, where Moses says, Can I see your face? Now, y'all understand, when you see somebody's face, that's, that's how you recognize who they are. You can see somebody from the back, you're like, I think it's that person. But when you see the face, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 it's you, it's you, it's you. The idea is, like, I want to know you more. And when Moses asked to see God's face in, in Exodus 34, 6, it says, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. He says, I want to know who you are. He says, I'm going to tell you exactly who you, who I am. He proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is A compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. That's who I am. And so we can ask ourselves, am I reflecting the nature of the God who redeemed me? It says he's compassionate. Am I compassionate towards my neighbors? Do, do, I, do I have a, a sense of understanding or seeking to understand? He's just that, that he's abounding in faithful love. Do I show grace towards my family? Yeah? See, when the rubber meets the road, our callings are worked out not on some mass grand scale, but in the everyday interactions that we have. He says he's slow to be angry. Are we slow to be angry at work? Do we show grace and patience to those who are with us? That is how we demonstrate that we belong to him, that we reflect his character in these everyday situations. So he says, I saved you because I love you. I want you to be near me, and you are to display my holy character to the world. Now, that next section of Scripture down in verse 17, we get that, this, this, this idea that they needed to remember that God is holy. There is a danger of getting too familiar with somebody. You ever seen somebody when they first start dating? Are they in that honeymoon phase of marriage? And they're like, yay! And then the reality sets in. Like, I would never thought they would say that to me. Well, they did. There is a danger of being too familiar. You forget the, 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 the specialness of the, of the one that you're with. So this is how God reminds him who he is in verse 17. It says, "'Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke, because the Lord came down on it with fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently.' As the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke to God, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai. Then the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain. He went up. The Lord directed Moses, go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord. Otherwise, many of them will die. Even the priests who come near the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out in anger against them. This almost seems like whiplash, yeah? I'm great. I, I love you. I brought you. So what, what, what exactly is, is going on? See, the, the people of God needed to remember and understand who God is. And over-familiarity f- with the Lord can suck out reverence to the Lord. He is the one who is near to us, but the scriptures say he also is the one who sits in the throne on, in heaven. He is the one who shows his love towards us, but he also is the one who has all power and all authority. We can't forget how great and lofty and holy he is. And what is holiness? You look at the text of Scripture, you can see that that holiness is this idea of complete separation from evil. Absolute moral purity. Another way to think about holy is that it's it's, it's a category of something that you can't quite explain. So, when the angels are in heaven and they're going, holy, 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 they're like, he's, I don't, there's no word to, d- to describe how great and, and awesome, holy, I, I don't know how to quite put it in, a, in another word, but, but he is he's holy. He's completely and wholly different from anything that I have encountered. When you look at the the, the passage, what you need to understand is is, is this idea that on Mount Sinai, God is coming down and he's bringing down his throne. And this has this this reflections in other throne room scenes. When you see God on his throne and the pictures of Scripture, it is kind of scary. When when, when people see the presence of God and the Scriptures, they, they do stuff like fall down. They do stuff like, I'm a man of unclean lips. Why am I here? I'm from a people of unclean lips. What is going on? When you get the picture of the, of the throne room and revelations, you have these, these massive creatures that we've never seen, that, that they themselves have great power, but they are bowing down and worship to God. When you see this fire, this smoke, this earthquake, this thunder, it shows the, the greatness of the one who sits on the throne. And this is not someone you approach without proper reverence. You roll up in the throne room of God, you don't just kind of strut in there, because you realize who it is. Now here's the, the flip side of holiness. Holiness is good. It is good that God's holy. When you are asking to see his goodness and God is holy, it's this unique kind of goodness that you couldn't get from anywhere else. But the flip side of holiness is that it's dangerous to sinners. Holiness is like fire. It's beautiful. And I don't know if you ever like had a campfire. I love to look at the, the, the embers after it you know, kind of dies down and just flickering. I wouldn't put my hand up in it, though. You know what I mean? Like, like, fire is useful. Yeah, when you're cold, it's, it's useful. But that don't mean I'm going to jump in it. It's, it's beautiful and useful and has so much utility. But at the same time, there is a danger of being too close. Listen, if holiness, holiness is like a fire, our sin is flammable. Our sin is like oil like gasoline, and we want to draw near to the fire of God's holiness. But our sin cannot stand in his presence. Listen, listen. I don't know if you ever, like, sometimes people joke when, when somebody who hasn't been to church in a while, they'll come in and they'll say something like, I'm surprised you didn't burst into flames. That's rude. Don't say that. But the reality, the real, don't do that. I did that to somebody last night. Anyway, I'm just playing. Uh, The the reality is this, though. It's surprising that every single one of us doesn't burst into flames when we stand before God. Because all of us, every single one of us, have sinned. So you can't just waltz towards God. You must seek conformity to his character. Now, this is the interesting thing. Now, the setting is God's on this holy mountain, and he says, Moses, you need to go down there to make sure they don't just roll up on me. That sounds mean, but it's actually really loving. I don't want—they're not ready. I don't want them to, can you make sure they don't get too close? Because they've been tripping, and they're not quite ready. That's a loving thing to say. Wait, wait a minute. We must seek conformity to his character in preparation of approaching him. You know, we, we live in a time where I don't feel like holiness feels that important to the church. Now, now here's the flip side. This is, this is why this is kind of confusing, because everybody wants justice, which is good and right, Yet holiness is the public outworking of justice. Yeah? Like, it's not disconnected. If I live in such a way that honors God and loves my neighbor, it works out to good around me. See, listen, we must seek holiness not to be holier than anybody else, but because we want to be conformed to his character, and we want to demonstrate his goodness to those around us. That's why if you hear us, we're always stressing stuff like reading Scripture and prayer and fellowship because formation and those spiritual disciplines, that is how we become more consecrated, that we look more like Him. Now listen, thankfully God has provided a way for us to draw near to Him even though He is holy and we are not. Again, I need to say this again. Do not interpret God's holiness as some sort of flaw within Him. A lot of times, people look at God and they consider His holiness, and they're like, "Oh man, He's He got too many rules." You heard that? There's just too many rules. Everybody thinks there's too many rules, and it gets transgressed towards you. You like the rules when it protects you, yeah? Like, thank you, God. But don't be looking at me, though. No, no, no. God's holiness is good. It's not a character flaw. Now listen, the people see God, they, they, they kind of see this great throne room. God says, don't roll up on me. You ain't ready yet. And they realize that they need something called a mediator. They need something called a go-between. In chapter 20, verse 18, it says, All the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the ram's horn, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. So what happens between the scene of the throne room and them saying we scared is God gives something called the Ten Commandments. That's the first part of Exodus when he gives the Ten Commandments. So he, they see his holiness, they see his commands, and they realize afresh, whoa, who is this God? He is not someone to be trifled with. What's interesting is, is they do something that Jesus prays for. They 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 honor his name as holy. Like they, 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 they have an awe, and they, they have this, this right worship and praise, and they magnify his goodness, his justice, his mercy and truth. And in the view of God's holiness and commands, they knew they needed a mediator. Yeah, they they saw how high and holy he was and how small they were. I man, I don't know what kind of gravitas you think you got, but when I walk up in a room, fire and smoke and horns and earthquake and thunder does not come with me. It's kind of dope. But that's not what goes down. <laughs> They're like, oh, man, he's, he, has a, he has more authority, more power than I do. Not only that, they realized the greatness of his standards. He began to tell, hey, listen, if you're going to follow me, you'll have no other gods before me. You're going to follow me. You must not murder. You must not covet. You must not desire to take what is not yours. On the first look, the Ten Commandments, let's just keep it 100. They don't seem that hard, right? I shouldn't go kill people. You know know what I mean? It's not rocket science. But then Jesus gets at the heart of the matter, right? And he says, if you actually hate somebody in your heart, you have committed murder in your heart. They realized the greatness of his standards, and they realized their moral sickness. They said, let somebody else take the risk of being near the holiness of God. Now, here's the thing. God has given a mediator that upholds God's holiness and atones for sin. That mediator is Christ Jesus. Listen, listen. He mediated for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus magnified the Father perfectly. He obeyed his standards perfectly. The only one who could stand in the fire of holiness unharmed is him. Yet, we see him crucified. The only one who could stand near the presence of God and not be consumed because their works are perfect is him. Yet he ends up being nailed to a tree. He did that for us in our place, and he rose again to show that his sacrifice was effective on our behalf. Now, again, don't get it twisted. Don't put some sort of, like, like juxtaposition or, or misunderstand that the Father and the Son are on the same page. The Father's not like, I don't like them. What's John 3.16? For God, so what? He loved the Word. So, so what's going on? The Father loves us, but he understood the frailty of our nature and our sinfulness. So he sends Jesus, his beloved one, to die on the cross for our sins, to atone and cover our sins. Why? So that we can be close to him with no fear, no shame, and no guilt. He did this because he loves us. But not only that, we have a present mediator, one who is interceding for us right now, Listen, if you, were, if you were in Israel, you're like, yo, God saved us. We good, right? He got us out of Egypt. We should be good, right? We, we, we right. They found out on the mountain they ain't good. <laughs> they still need help. Even after that initial salvation, they still need something else. Romans 8, 34, it says, Who is the one who condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more, he was raised. And get this he also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. The reality is, I am in need of forgiveness and salvation today. Not just the day that I was saved. If you were to analyze my heart, you would see it does not match with perfection, the holiness of God. So I still need a mediator today. And God has provided a mediator that prays for us at every moment of our existence. Y'all, God has Christ always covering our sinfulness. Christ is always pointing to the sufficiency of his salvation. In heaven, there is this eternal memorial and reminder. Now, let me just ask you this question. Is God forgetful? The answer is no. He's not. So, so, so what is going on here? This, like, if Jesus isn't there, God's like, oh, snap, I forgot. It, it, it's not like that. It's more like having a, a family picture in your office. I have a picture of my family in my office. I'm, am I going to forget? No. <laughs> I know I have a family. <laughs> but I want there to, I want to look and go, ah, oh, there they are. I want to remember God in His grace wants there to be this eternal memorial to our salvation. That's why Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father with His wounds still there, eternally testifying that I have covered their sin and I presently cover their sin so that they today now can draw near to God. He has provided this covering. Therefore, we can approach him without fear and without shame. So here's the the deal. God's throne room ain't changed. It's still holy. It's still terrifying if you got sin. But we have a mediator that covers us. So that same desire that God had in the Old Testament, I want you to be close. He has that same desire today. And he has provided everything that we need so that we can be near him with full assurance that his holiness will not consume us because Christ has been consumed in our place. So again, we we need not to forget the purpose of our salvation. Yeah? He says, I saved you so that you would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation We can't forget that we belong to him and that we have to represent him. We should ask questions like, how does my life reflect the goodness and the grace of God? And beloved, we don't forget that he is holy. Our Savior is kind, but he is also a consuming fire. We should not forget how high and mighty he is. Even though he is our friend and our brother, we still show reverence. Scripture says that when everything is said and done, that every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth is going to bow before King Jesus. So we best be bowing now. We demonstrate that we understand that now. And not only that, we praise God for the mediator today. God draws near us today. Jesus applies his saving work to you today. Listen, here's the deal. This should encourage you. You come through to a day and you just messed up real bad. You feel your sinfulness. And the reality is when you feel your guilt and shame, you kind of go, "Uh, how does God feel about me? There is this eternal reminder in the heavens that God sent Christ to die for you. He covers your sin. He rose from the dead. And he is sitting there praying for you. That should be such great comfort to you when you feel your own shortcomings. That Jesus looks down on you and doesn't go, He goes, no, I, I knew that would happen and I have provided. I have atoned. I have covered. Come and receive grace and forgiveness. Every day. Is an opportunity to celebrate our present salvation. So, so so, so if, if you don't know Christ, come to him because he wants to be near you. And Christian, rest in him because he has provided everything that you need. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you reveal your holy character to us in the scriptures. At the same time, you reveal your your mercy, and your grace. There is none like you. Lord, you are, are marvelous and great and holy. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help us to revere you, that you would help us to, to honor you with our lives, and that you would give us a deep gratitude because in your loving kindness, you have provided everything we need to be near you. In Jesus' name, amen.